Good morning, church. We now come to the time where we're going to read God's word. And so we're in Matthew. And after Katie's stellar job last week, going through all the names, this works a bit more conventional. So we're in verse 18 of chapter 1. So if you have a Bible with you, that's the place to go. If not, on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, friends, uh, it's almost Christmas, and uh, the theme this morning is not on that passage, it's specifically on the virgin birth. And uh, let me just say, as I speak on this today, depending on your religious background, you may have heard different things, you may even believe different things to what I say this morning depending on, on your background and your experiences. But I ask that you would uh, consider what the Word of God has to say on this important topic. Because the bir- virgin birth also brings with it the issue of uh, the role of Mary in God's saving work. Who was she? Uh, was she sinless? Was she an ever-virgin? Or was she, uh, like any ordinary mother, blessed by God to fulfill a certain task? You know, every Christmas... As we think about that, we celebrate the birth of Jesus to a young mother, Mary. And uh, we're assuming uh, Mary, from our understanding, would have been a teenager at this stage. And homes and shopping centers are adorned with nativity scenes. In fact, yesterday, even here at the church, there was a nativity scene right there in the foyer. And if you were here, you could have uh, seen that. But it becomes uh, the virgin birth, the second most controversial miracle in all of history, following the resurrection of Jesus from the death from the dead, or maybe even the most important miracle, you might say. And their opinions are divided about, did it even happen? Right? So you take US TV host the uh, Larry King. When he was asked uh, about interviewing someone from history, and he said, I'd like to interview Jesus Christ. He said, what would you like to ask him? I'd like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me, he says. Or you take another uh, influential but a liberal pastor who used to work in New York a number of years ago. He said, as a pastor, I do not believe in the virgin birth and I hope that none of you do either. Okay, different opinions. Um, The liberal Episcopalian bishop, John Spong, has now passed away, said, in time the virgin birth account will join Adam and Eve as clearly recognized mythical elements in our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event. People within the church who are trying to deny uh, the truth of the virgin birth. 
It's a little bit like this. There was a mother who took her teenage daughter to the doctor to find out what was wrong with her. She kept being quite sick. After running some tests, the doctor said to the mother, it's quite simple. She's not sick, but I'm afraid your daughter is pregnant. The mother replied, that's impossible. She's never even kissed a boy. The doctor then stopped and started staring out the window. The woman said, aren't you going to answer me? He said, oh, I'm sorry. It's just that the last time this happened to me, three wise men showed up from the east, and I didn't want to miss it this time, he said. It's like, it's a mythical story. Surely you don't believe in a virgin birth, Christians, the world will say to us, and some Christians would say to you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the greatest and most momentous fact which history of the world records is the fact of his birth. The incarnation, God becomes man. This is what we're talking about here. No wonder people don't get it. No wonder Islam will reject it. God becoming man in his son Jesus. And we talk about Jesus being the God-man. Fully God, fully man to be our saviour. So let's have a look at what the scripture says on the virgin birth. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's see for a moment what's happening here in the first century context. Mary had been engaged or betrothed to Joseph. They were engaged. See, it was a binding agreement by legal contracts, not like engagements today. You had to sign a contract at your engagement. In the formal prenuptial agreement before witnesses, the young man and woman entered into the official state of betrothal. A legally binding contract, which gave man rights over the young woman, could only be broken by a formal process of divorce. Keep that in your mind as you read the New Testament stories here. The terminology husband and wife was used during this engagement period to those betrothed partners. Sexual relations between the betrothed partners was not tolerated, and the girl did not leave the family home to live with the man. They're betrothed in a contract, they're called husband and wife, they've not yet left their homes, they have not yet come together and consummated the marriage. Sexual unfaithfulness with another person at this time was considered adultery, as if they were married. The penalty which were, for which was death by stoning Although by New Testament times, this was very rare. The period of betrothal was 9 to 18 months at the most. And the purpose was so that the bride could demonstrate her virginity. The fear of a young man entering into a marriage, into a relationship with a young woman, was that he would marry her, then discover her to be pregnant. And please note, I was reading uh, some background. The wedding itself, the parents blessed the couple... The father of the bride drew up a written contract, a marriage contract. Soon afterward, in a specially prepared nuptial chamber, the couple prayed and then sexually consummated the marriage, after which a blood-stained cloth was exhibited as proof of the bride's virginity. Think about how serious this is in a first-century context. The wedding festivities then continued for sometimes for a week or more. With that background, and in, we come to Joseph, his worst fears are realized. You normally go through all of that to make sure you're marrying a virgin. Mary is pregnant. He is not the father. 
Imagine a conversation between Mary and Joseph. It's a miracle, she says. God did it. Sure, Mary, who's the father? The first thought, what would come to your mind as Joseph? What's he going to do? He's brokenhearted. His fiancée, in his mind, has been with someone else. But it's not quite the case. Let me take you to Luke 1, which describes further the conversations here. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. We saw that last week. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Of course, Mary's going to say, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. The angel answered very clearly, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant. I love the humility of Mary. She's a great example to us. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. But at this stage, Joseph doesn't know this. So what will Joseph do? He can't follow through and marry her because that would condone Mary's adultery. But Joseph is gracious. Now, he doesn't want to expose it to public disgrace, so he wants to do it quietly. So he does the right thing before God, fulfills righteousness, and Mary's not shamed in the community. I love that about Joseph too. He loves this woman, and she's now pregnant. So he's wondering what to do, how to care for Mary and how to be honorable to God. And then his perspective changes when God speaks to him. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Mary has not been unfaithful. She's not slept with someone else. This is a work of God. Don't be afraid. Take her home. Now, if you imagine for a moment in that first century, you take Mary home, even though God's told you this, an angel's told you this, you take Mary home and she's pregnant, everyone in the village knows. Everyone in the community knows. You may believe God's told you this, but everyone's talking about you behind your back. Correct? Everyone knows. Oh, did you hear about Mary? Did you hear about Mary? And Joseph's still going to marry her. Can you believe that? What type of man is he? Yet he does it. Despite the stigma, he has heard the voice of God and he marries her. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is obedient to the angel's directive, carries out the second phase of the marital process, enters into a formal wedding ceremony. 
the end of that, he takes her home. They live as a fully married couple, but he has no union with her, we're told, until she gives birth to Jesus. Then in Matthew 1, we read, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, we believe the Isaiah prophecy was fulfilled in its time. It has a secondary and more more important fulfillment in the coming of Jesus. That's the story. That's what you have in your Bibles. But let me now uh, outline some things Scripture does not teach about the virgin birth of Jesus because a lot of things have developed over the centuries. Number one, does not teach that Mary did not have a normal delivery. You see, some Catholic theologians have taught that Jesus was not born in a normal fashion through Mary's birth canal and she did not suffer any pain or any physical trauma that accompanies giving her birth. Women wouldn't you like that? They teach because she was special to God, she remained a virgin even while giving birth. Erickson quoting a Catholic teaching, he simply passed through the wall of Mary's uterus instead of being delivered through the normal birth canal that Mary's hymen was not ruptured, thus maintaining her virginity. Some of the teaching there. But the Scriptures don't teach that at all. You see, Micah 5, 2-3, um, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. Right? She's in labor, like everyone else. The rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Secondly, Scripture does not teach that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life. Now, some of this might be new to you. think, Of course we don't believe that. But if you're Catholic Orthodox backgrounds, uh, you've been taught certain things through the century or through your years. Where did this come from? Arguments for what's called the perpetual virginity of Mary arose as early as the 2nd century, became popular in the 4th century, culminated in the Second Council of Constantinople, which convened in 553, and declared that Mary was ever virgin. That implies that she never had intimate relationships with her own husband, Joseph. I think it's inaccurate for three reasons. Number one, God designed marriage to include a physical union, Genesis 2.24, and depriving marital intimacy is a sin, 1 Corinthians 7. Secondly, Matthew 1.25 says she did not have relations following Jesus, or she did have relations following Jesus' birth, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. The question is, after the birth of the son, they would have normal relations. The ESV version puts it this way, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Thirdly, if you're not sure about that, Scripture repeatedly states Mary had other sons and daughters. In Matthew, in Mark's Gospel, in Luke's Gospel, in John's Gospel, and Acts, 1 Corinthians and Galatians. For example, Matthew 13, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed, he said. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? 
And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Four brothers are mentioned. Aren't all his sisters with us? The names don't get the mention of the sisters. Aren't they all here? Where did this man get all these things? In other words, here's an ordinary man. We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. How come he is so uniquely different? Galatians 1, 18 and 19. The Apostle Paul writes, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Very hard to have brothers and sisters if the parents don't consummate their marriage. I think that scriptures teach that Mary was a virgin until the birth of Jesus. The Bible is very clear on that. I then enjoyed normal marital relations with her husband. Thirdly, this could be an interesting one for you. Scripture does not teach that belief in the virgin birth proves the deity of Jesus. It doesn't prove it. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses affirm the virgin birth, but don't believe that Jesus is God the Son, but they hold to the virgin birth. Even some Muslims believe in the virgin birth, they certainly don't believe in the deity of Jesus. Fourthly, Scripture does not teach that Mary had sex with God. Sometimes you'll hear that people skeptical of Christianity and some other religions, oh, you believe your God... God had sex with Mary and had a baby. No, no, it's not quite like that. In fact, the Mormons actually teach that God the Father had physical flesh and bone sexual relationships with, uh, relationship with Mary, enabling her to conceive Jesus. And if that's not weird enough, they also state that Mary remained a virgin because apparently if a woman who is mortal has sex with a God who is immortal, it doesn't count. And she technically remains a virgin. There are some strange, I'm throwing these out here, and you're going, what, who, that can't be true, no one believes that. Check it out. (laughs) All types of things are taught about the virginity of Mary and how this all works with God. And Scripture does not teach the immaculate conception of Mary. Getting more serious ones here. Now, to protect Jesus from any sort of sin or of a sinful nature, The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was not a sinner in her life. They say she was immaculately conceived, had no sinful nature, and was not a sinner. Uh, Quoting from the Catholic religion uh, booklet, it means that the new life of sanctifying grace, which was lost by original sin and is restored to Christians in the Catholic Church through baptism, was given direct to Mary from the first moment she began to exist as a child in the womb of her mother. It's a miracle of God, she's perfect. No sin. So you'll be aware that's, that's a quite a different understanding of Mary between, say, a Protestant understanding, an evangelical understanding, and a Catholic understanding. But I want you to note also that Mary, when she's giving thanks to God for the privilege of bearing the Son of God, says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. God is her saviour. Mary needs saving too. She's not perfect, but she too needs saving. See, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was fully God and fully man without sin because of a miracle of the Holy Spirit, not because Mary was sinless. Finally, Scripture does not teach that the virgin birth is unimportant. 
some people say, oh, well, it really doesn't matter. You know, God could have... Now, in one sense, God could have done it a different way. God could have chosen to bring Christ into the world a different way. This is the way he chose. And the Bible sees it as an important thing. Because if we failed to believe in the virgin birth as detailed in Scripture, then the only alternative is that Mary was a sexually sinful woman, right, get this, if you don't believe it, who conceived Jesus illegitimately, which was the accusation in Jesus' day. Second, if the virgin birth of Jesus is untrue, then the story of Jesus changes dramatically. We would have a sexually promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, raising the son to declare he is God, and then joining his religion. If Mary was nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son should be trusted. It is important to believe in a virgin birth. In his book, The Virgin Birth of Christ, which is perhaps the greatest book ever defending the fact of the virgin birth, J. Gresham Machen writes, Everyone admits that the Bible represents Jesus as having been conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. The only question is whether in making that representation, the Bible is true or false. It goes on to say, if the Bible is regarded as having been wrong in, in what it says about the birth of Christ, then obviously the authority of the Bible in any high sense is gone. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the miracle of God that she conceived by the Holy Spirit and God guided her and protected her she had no sex with her husband until the child was born, not because she's a promiscuous woman, not because she was perfect, but because God chose to use her to bring the Savior into the world. So finally, let's look at the significance of Jesus' birth. I want to look at some of those alternative ideas, but now the significance. What does it mean for us? Firstly, it signifies Jesus' unique holiness. Lewis Damaris right in there, uh, theology, the angel Answer, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He said, apart from sinners, He is the Holy One. He comes for the redemption of sinners. It signifies His unique holiness. It serves as a sign of His deity. It doesn't prove His deity. It serves as a sign of His deity. Remember, He said He will be called the Son of God. He will also be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thirdly, it draws attention to the eternal Son's incarnation. Louis de Maris writes, The supernatural aspects of the conception and birth signify Jesus' extraordinary eternal existence. The natural aspects of his point to, uh, point to his literal flesh and blood. Okay, he is human. Jesus is no mythical figure, but a literal person in an actual human body. He is God incarnate. Now, someone said to me, I had a friend preaching once uh, at Springwood, and uh, he got to preach on the identity of Jesus. He was trying to defend the gospel. Uh, but in the middle of the sermon, he said, and we believe that Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. And we all almost stood up and went, no, <laughs> you got it wrong. No, no, no. And if you thought that was right, that's wrong, <laughs> by the way. Jesus is fully God, 100% God and 100% man. He is the God-man Savior. He's not half and half. He's fully God and fully man coming together in a unique way. And just as uh, 
it's hard to understand the Trinity, that God is three in one. It's difficult sometimes to understand God fully one person, fully Godhead, fully human here upon this earth. But that's what the Bible teaches. But his virgin birth also points us to his redemption, redemptive mission. She will give birth to a son, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He comes into the world as the perfect one who will die and save sinners from their sins. And finally, he reminds us that our salvation is the supernatural act of grace. I love it right from the beginning. It's a miracle, God says. You can't save yourself. I'm going to do something unique. I'm going to enable a virgin to bear a child in a supernatural act, a miracle. And you can see in that, it's my grace that will save you right from the beginning. It's not your works, it's not your goodness. God chooses a young Jewish girl through whom to enter the world in order to save it. And because of that, God deserves all the glory. Friends, as we approach Christmas, let's not forget this amazing story of the virgin birth. A powerful story of God reaching down to save us from our sins. That is a God worth following. But let's not also forget the humility and the beauty and the faith of Mary in the midst of all of this. She may not be all that some churches teach that she is, but she is holy, she's humble, she trusts in God, she obeys God, favored by God, and she's a great example for us to follow. But not only Mary, and as I conclude, I think of Joseph. When God calls you to do the unexpected, the unusual, he says, God, if you said it, I'll do it, no matter what it costs me. Both wonderful examples for us to follow as we serve Christ this Christmas. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you performed the miracle of the virgin birth, the virgin conception and the birth, in order that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would die for us and rise again for us and offer us eternal life. And Lord, as we considered your act of grace in the virgin birth, we too have been impressed by the examples of Mary and Joseph being faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to you as they were faithful, to count the cost of following you no matter uh, what comes, that we would glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.